How confident are you in your walk with God? Do you live life with a swag, so to speak, because you know that you have an intimate, personal relationship with the almighty God? The assurance of salvation, that is, that you know, that you know, that you know, when you die, you will go into the presence of God for all eternity. The assurance of salvation is important to your spiritual well-being. Make no mistake about that. If you lack assurance of salvation, if you doubt whether or not, if you were to die right now, where you would go, and you don't know as a Christian that you will go to heaven, it affects your spiritual life. It's important that you know that you possess eternal life. It's critical that you know that God is a God who answers prayer. It matters that you know that you are kept by Jesus Christ. And because of that, you will win the war over sin in the war over the devil. Assurance of salvation is a game changer because of the fact that it reminds us and impresses upon us that we indeed are of God. It's important that you know why Jesus Christ came and that he came into this world that you might have eternal life. Assurance of salvation, a no-so salvation. The, the reality that you are certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die right now, that you would go into the presence of God and spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ is important for you to know. If you don't know that, you will be crippled, you will be hurt in your walk with God. And this is not really just simply my opinion. This is the teaching of Scripture. First John is a book devoted to the assurance of salvation. The whole book, all five chapters, is all about the assurance of salvation, that you may know that you are saved. But even as we come to the conclusion of this book, 1 John 5, 13 through 21, it also testifies to the importance of the assurance of salvation, the assurance of salvation. When we come to these remaining verses, the, the language is a language of assurance. The word know, speaking of intuitive knowledge, not intellectual, but intuitively you know, is used six different times. John uses phrases like, you know, we know, that we may know. Repeatedly, he's talking about the fact that we can have assurance of salvation, that, are, that there are certain things that we can be certain of. 
We live in an uncertain world. There's uncertainty all around us. We don't know what will happen to us when we leave this building. We don't know what will happen to us while we're in this building. Life is full of uncertainties. We don't know if this week we will hear from the doctor that we have cancer. We we don't know if we'll hear and receive a phone call where a loved one has died. Life is so, so uncertain. But yet, God wants his children to be certain as they live their Christian life to experience the certainties of the word of God. God doesn't want you walking around with your head hung low, your head bowed down. He doesn't want you walking around wondering what's going to happen to you. God wants you to know that you can be a confident Christian, that you can be a Christian who experiences certain realities and assurances and guarantees. And as Paul, as John finishes this book, as he writes this conclusion, he gives us five certainties that will enable the child of God to be a confident Christian. You might lack confidence in other areas, But when it comes to being a Christian, uh, you ought to be a confident Christian. You ought to be a Christian that when it's all said and done, you know that you know that you know that God has given you these wonderful blessings to enjoy not only in the future, but here right now. And so in the midst of all of these uncertainties, I want us to realize that there's some things we can bank on. John wants us to realize there's some certainties that can undergird us in an uncertain world. Please note that the confident Christian is certain about possessing eternal life. The Christian who is confident is knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have experienced being saved by God. Now, the certainty, now some people don't believe you can have assurance of salvation, but the certainty of possessing eternal life is based upon what John has just written in this book. We're at verse 13, but a couple weeks ago, we looked at verses 6 through 12, where John asked the question, can I get a witness? And remember, John was able to get some witnesses. There were those historical witnesses, the witness of the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus that testified that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. There were those divine witnesses of God the Spirit testifying, the ones whose testimony you can bank on, but testifying about who Jesus is and what he has done. And then there was a witness of God the Father. There were even human witnesses who had been saved by God and who had the witness in themselves 
They could take the witness stand and say that Christianity is the real thing, that Christianity is the genuine thing, that Christ is who he is and all that he said that he was. And the bottom line is the witness, when when you boil it all down, is this, that God has given us eternal life. That's the witness. That almighty God gives eternal life. And that life is in his son, Jesus Christ. John says, these things I have written. He says to his readers, I've taken the time not just to say this to you orally, but I've taken the time to write it down on paper so that you could have it in your possession, so that you could go back and read it and be assured that you have eternal life. And sometimes oral communication just ain't good enough. It works, but we don't always remember. And that's why it's good to have some notes so that you can go back and read those notes. And John says, I'm writing these things. I've written these things so that you can go back in those times when you are struggling with your assurance of salvation, when you're doubting whether or not you're going to heaven. You can go back and read the things that I've written to you. I've written these things. I've written these things. The, the, the certainty of possessing eternal life is for believers only. John is not trying to give assurance of salvation to the unsaved. He says, I've written these things to you, to his readers. And he further describes them as those who, have, who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's who he's writing to. John wants to assure anyone who has put their faith and their trust in the person of work and work of Jesus Christ alone for salvation. He says, I'm writing to you. Not to you who have rejected the gospel. Not to you who don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. No, I'm writing to you who believe in the name that represents the person and work of Jesus Christ, all that he has done. To you who have put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm writing to you so that you may know, that you might have that intuitive knowledge. And basically the certainty of possessing eternal life means that you know you are saved. You know that God has saved you. That's what it means to know that you have eternal life, that God himself has redeemed you and saved you and forgiven you all of your sins. And John wants his readers to have that intuitive knowledge. He wants it to be deep down within their souls that they can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I know that I know that I am saved. Not because I prayed a prayer. Not because I was baptized. 
Not because my name is on the church roster. Not because ages ago I prayed a prayer. That's not the basis. John is saying that you might know that you're saved. Know that you have eternal life. And that eternal life is for those who believe. Not believed sometime in the past and that was it. But John says to you who are believing, still believing, still putting your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It it, it breaks our heart when we can look at individuals who have believed in the past but aren't believing currently. And that's a whole different sermon. But the one that John is giving assurance to are those who keep on believing, those who keep on trusting, those who keep on depending upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And he says that you can know that you have eternal life. Remember, we talked about this eternal life earlier. This eternal life that's undeserved. It was given by God. This eternal life that is incomparable. Nothing compares with life eternal. This eternal life that is undescribable. You can't describe it. But but the good news about this eternal life is that it is available. It's available. The one who has the son has eternal life. This eternal life is available. And, And those who have experienced that eternal life, John says, I'm writing these things to you that you may know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have life everlasting. That you have no doubt at all that it's well between you and God. That, that there's no uncertainty at all that when you die, you're going to heaven. That you can go out in an uncertain world where you might try to cross this street on Marlboro to get on the other side and a car might hit you and you might be killed. But if that were to happen to you, that doesn't matter at all to you because it doesn't affect your eternal life that you have. You can go about doing what God calls you to do without any fear, without being afraid, without being scared. The confident Christian is certain about possessing eternal life. You can be a Christian and not be certain about possessing eternal life, but that is not God's will for you. God's will for each of his children, based upon 1 John, is that the child of God is certain that he or she possesses and has eternal life. I want you to notice also, 
that the confident Christian is certain not only about possessing eternal life, but is certain about answered prayer. Answered prayer. John turns his attention to the matter of prayer. And we all know that prayer is a vital part of the Christian life. We had a Sunday school class on looking at prayer. You, we, we pray often in our worship service. We, we, we have Wednesday night Bible study, and we make prayer a part of that. We have quarterly prayer meeting. Now, prayer is important and crucial and critical to the Christian life. And, and John now focuses in on prayer. And when you read verses 14 through 17, he uses terms like ask, request. But when we think about prayer, we we use that little acronym, ACTS. A stands for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. Now we, we, We say that if you want to have a balanced prayer life, It must include adoration, confession of sin, thanksgiving, and supplication. But but you need to understand that, that all of those things are important, but at its very heart and nature, prayer is supplication. Prayer is asking. And there's nothing wrong with you as a child of God coming to him asking, petitioning him. I grew up in a church where the deacons would pray before or at the beginning of the worship service. And sometimes they would have it a devotional period. I called them dead oceans, but they were devotions. (laughs) But they, you know, that's me. You guys know who I am by now. But, uh, you know, deacons would get up and pray. And, And the prayers would go all around the world. I mean, visiting every hospital visiting every city, uh, visiting every person. And and finally got down to what the prayer was all about, asking. Okay? Uh, So so we, we, we need to understand, yes, adoration, adoring God in prayer is great. Confession of sin is important. Giving thanksgiving is important. But bottom line is prayer is asking. And it's nothing wrong with asking our Heavenly Father. God has designed the means for us to come to him and ask him different things and cry out to him for different things. Now, you can sugarcoat it, but God knows what's going on. You can talk about, oh, God, how wonderful you are, how marvelous you are, etc., and spend 15 minutes to do that when you just finally get down to God, I got a pinched nerve. Will you heal it? We don't have to butter God up. There are times that we will adore him. There are times that we will give thanks. But but never ever forget that prayer is asking. It's supplication. And that's what John focuses on in these verses. He's not concerned about adoration. He's not concerned about confession of sin. He's not concerned about thanksgiving. He's concerned about Supplication. 
and, and probably one of the greatest expressions of our relationship with God is our prayer life. Our prayer life confirms the reality that God is in us and we are in him. Look at your prayer life. It it expresses the, the, the intimate relationship that you have with God. And if your prayer life looks like the prayer life of unbelievers, you need to work on it. But our prayer life says much and describes much and expresses much about that intimate relationship that God has designed for us to have. And so when we come to this matter of answered prayer, in verses 14 and 15, there is a revelation about answered prayer. That's the focus of those two verses. And John reveals a Christian can be certain that God answers prayer. A a Christian can be certain that God answers prayer. As we look at verse 14, after John talks about the fact he's written these things that you may know that you have eternal life, he says at the beginning of verse 14, and this is the confidence which we have before God. He he uses confidence. Normally when he talks about assurance, he likes to use the word no. But here he uses the word confident, which means boldness and openness. Uh, It was used back in chapter 2, verse 28, where John says, abide in Christ so that when he comes and appears, you won't have to shrink away in shame, but instead you will have confidence before him. So so God wants us as Christians to have this boldness, this openness, this assurance concerning answer prayer in our face-to-face relationship to God. You and I can have assurance about the certainty of answered prayer. And John reveals the condition of answer prayer. What condition must be met in order for my prayers to be answered? John says in our text that this is the confidence we have before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Did you hear the condition? If we ask anything according to his will. That's the condition. So when I pray, when I go before my God in prayer, the kind of prayer that John is talking about here, it's the prayer where I'm asking, not according to my will, but according to the will of God. And the will of God is not always black and white. But, but the best place that you can find out what God's will is, is in his word. You want to know the will of God? You don't have to go running down the street, looking behind bushes and buildings and trying to find out where is the will of God. Go to the word of God. 
And John said that the condition for answered prayer is that you pray not according to your will, but according to the will of God. Now, John promises that anything that is asked according to God's will will be answered by God. That's a marvelous promise. Now, I know you got some doubts in there, but I'm just telling you, it's a marvelous promise. God is saying through John that anything, that it doesn't matter what it might be, anything that is asked that meets the norm, the standard of what God's will is, he says, he hears us. And, and, and here, it does not just simply mean that it goes into his ears, so to speak. Some of you are hearing what I'm saying, but that's about all that's going on. Uh, uh, when we talk about prayer and God hearing, it's God favorably responding to what he hears. It's not just God said, well, I heard it. No, God favorably responds to it. Now, that's a marvelous promise. If we ask anything according to God's will, the word of God says that God favorably hears us. That is, he answers us. And and, and you might be saying to yourself, does God really answer prayer? Is that really something that I can count on and can bank on? Well, according to verse 15, he certainly does. Now, when we get to verse 15, twice, John says, we know at the beginning of the verse, he says, if we ask anything, we know, then we know. So John, what he says in verse 15, doesn't come from the the, the mind of one who is doubting. It comes from the heart of one who is certain. John says, and and look at that verse, because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. John says, if we know that he favorably hears us in whatever we ask, And the assumption is you're asking according to the will of God. If you know that he hears us, if we know that, we know also that we have the requests which we have asked from him. Let that sink in. Don't let that fly over your head. John says we know that if God does hear us, doesn't matter what we're asking, as long as it's according to God's will, then we know that we have the requests which we have asked from God. I just want you to register in on what John is saying. We know that if God hears us, we know that he answers us. He gives us the requests that we ask him. And the million dollar question is, 
Why hasn't he been answering my prayers? Could be you're not praying according to his will. But this isn't the only verse on prayer and on the conditions of answered prayer. This same John who wrote this verse earlier in chapter 3, verse 22, says that you have to ask, believing God, keeping his commandments, and doing what is pleasing in his sight. So when I come to God in prayer, when I cry out to him, can it be said of me that I'm keeping his word and also I'm doing the things that are pleasing in his sight? That factors in. And then this same John, when you go to John chapter 14, 15, and 16, John gives some other conditions of answered prayer. And one of those other conditions is if we ask in Jesus' name. Now, some of you say, I do that all the time. Every prayer I pray, I add in Jesus' name. Well, you can add in Jesus' name all you want. That doesn't mean that you're praying in a way that reflects the character and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then John mentions even another condition of prayer. In John chapter 15, verse 7, he says that we have to be abiding in Jesus, and Jesus' word has to be abiding in us. So my friends, all of these are revelations about answer prayer. You can't just take what John says here and act like there's nothing else in the Bible that speaks on answered prayer. And then the one that you definitely have to consider as a condition of answered prayer is the sovereignty of God. God is not our genie. God is not our bellhop. God is not our slot machine. We do not tell God what to do. Prayer is not about me getting what I want. Prayer is about God giving me what he wants. And we just have to keep that in mind. There is a mystery to prayer that I don't understand. And I can read all of these different verses, etc., and I still don't know how prayer works. I can't put God in some little box and say, well, I met all these conditions, now do what I say. When I come to God, I should be praying according to his will. I should be praying in Jesus' name. I should be praying, living an obedient life and doing what pleases him. I should be abiding in Jesus and his word abiding in me. But I must also recognize that he is God. And I have to trust him that he will do what is best for me. Some of us want God to do what we want. And the true child of God is growing and saying, God, you know best. You know best. Help me to be praying and crying out for your will. And be content like our Lord Jesus Christ was as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
You wanted the cross to be removed, taken away. But what did he say? Not my will. Thy will be done. I'm not up here telling you how you can make God into your puppet. I'm not here to tell you how you can make God your genie so you can wave your magic little prayer wand and think that he's going to do anything that you want him to do. I'm here to tell you, though, that I believe in answered prayer. I don't understand it all. I can't map it all out. I can't guarantee you that if I do this, 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 that, it's going to happen. But I believe in answer prayer. I believe it from my own life. I believe it from the word of God. God answers prayer. And that should drive us to pray. That's a certainty that God wants us to have in our Christian life. He wants us to be certain that we know about answered prayer so that we will pray, so that we will call out to him in prayer. That's the revelation about answered prayer. I want to conclude by talking about the responsibility in light of answered prayer. If God does answer prayer, what does that mean for me? Obviously, it means that I should pray, that I should be making my requests known to God, that I should be interceding on the behalf of other Christians, that I should be praying for those who are sick and shut in. I should be praying for those uh, who are suffering, etc. But John comes up with an interesting illustration on what his readers need to do in light of the fact that God answers prayer. And as we come to verses 16 through 17, in light of the fact that God answers prayer, we have an awesome responsibility. And the responsibility arises in light of a hypothetical situation. Verse 16 is tough. It's challenging. It's no way that I can give you all of the options of what it's saying. Check out the email on next Friday. I will try to give you more information on it. But what I'm going to simply do now is just simply share with you what I believe this verse is teaching. But the hypothetical situation in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. Anyone is a member of, of the Christian community that John is writing to. And this anyone sees a particular individual. And the individual that he sees is his brother. Now, I take it that his brother does not mean a genuine Christian, but a professing Christian. Back in chapter 2, remember there were certain individuals who were once a part of the Christian community that John writes to. But they went out. And the fact that they went out reveals the fact that they were not genuine Christian. They, If you were to ask them, they would say, yes, we're Christian. But John said they went out because they were not of us. And the reason they went out is so that it might become manifest who they really are. 
And so this brother is not a Christian brother. This is a professed Christian. And there are professed Christians. Uh, you do different Gallup polls, et cetera, and there's a lot of Christians in America. But I hope you know that just because somebody professes to be a Christian doesn't mean they are a Christian. And so Mr. Anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death. That is, it's a sin that is open, This person is not Snoop Dogg. He's not snooping around, hiding in the bushes, trying to see whether or not you're sinning. Not trying to check out what time did you come home last night? Whose house you were over? What what all were you doing? No, this sin that the person sees is out in the open. John says that, this individual who's part of the Christian community sees this professed Christian doing something. He's committing a sin. He's sinning a sin. It's a sin not leading to death. And the implication is it's a sin that doesn't lead to eventually that person dying in their sins and spending eternity in the lake of fire. To put it another way, the person is committing a sin, but there's hope that the person can be saved. There's hope that the person can be forgiven. So, so what's my responsibility? What is John saying? If a brother sees no, another so-called brother in that condition, what is he to do? He's to pray. He's to go to God in prayer for that person. I don't know what you do when you see someone who professes to be a Christian and you see them sinning. I don't know if you go and gossip. I don't know if you get on the the, the prayer line and start telling people we need to pray for so-and-so. Or do you go to God? John's command, John's recommendation, John's action is he shall ask. That is, the brother who sees this professed Christian committing this sin, he is to ask. He is to go to God in prayer for on behalf of the sinning individual who professes to be a Christian. And John tells us that if that is done, that God will respond. That's the last part of verse 16, the middle part of verse 16. And God will give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. John believes that God answers prayer. And because of that revelation, he says, Christians, we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is that when we see someone who professes to be a Christian, and it appears and it seems that that person can still be saved, that we are to intercede on that person's behalf and cry out to God for that person's salvation. 
And John promises that God will give that person eternal life. That life that is undeserved, that's indescribable, that's incomparable, that's available through Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have prayed a prayer like that. You know of someone, could be a family member, could be a friend. They think they're a Christian, but there's no evidence at all that they are a Christian. All the evidence points the other way that they're not unsaved, but they will tell you, I'm a Christian. I got baptized when I was six. Grew up in the church. I'm 82 now, but I haven't been in the last 50 years. They would tell you, I'm saved. And you hear that, and your heart breaks for that individual. And your heart should cause you to pray for that individual. And God promises that he will hear your prayer and answer your prayer and give that person life. And you say, I've done that. But the person's still dead in their trespasses and sins. And it brings us right back to the conditions for answer prayer that we find in verse 15. There are no, quote, guarantees that when we cry out to God, that automatically he's going to do what we want him to do. We have to trust his sovereignty. We have to trust the fact that he is a God who answers prayer. That, that shouldn't say, I won't pray. All it should simply mean is that I will trust God in this matter when I pray for this person. Now, there's more that I can say, and I'll just pick this up next week very briefly. But the fact that there is a sin not leading to death, there is a sin leading to death. If you want to know what that sin is, come back next Lord's Day. But, but I want you, Fairview, I want you to be a confident Christian. I don't want you walking around with your head bowed down. I don't want you being consumed with doubt and worry. You can be a confident Christian, not based upon your makeup, but based upon the word of God. In the midst of the uncertainties of life, you can walk humbly and boldly with your God. Why? Because you have certainty that you possess eternal life. You can know that for yourself, that you possess, you have life everlasting. That, that is not something that God wants you to be in doubt of. You can be certain by going back to his word and heeding his word. John says, I've written these things that you might know that you have eternal life. And you can be certain that God answers prayer. And I'm not saying he answers prayer the way that you want him to answer it. I'm saying that he answers prayer according to his will. 
And that should cause you not to back up and not pray, but that should cause you to pray all the more fervently and to cry out to God knowing that he knows what is best. The last thing that the Bible does is kind of line up a bunch of ducks and saying, well, check off each one of these. Guarantee you the end result. That's not God answering prayer. That's a misconception of God that you're a genie. Yes, there are conditions of prayer. But ultimately, if you have not bowed to the sovereignty of God, if you have not bowed to to his will and submit to it, you're going to struggle in your walk with God. And so, I can be a confident Christian. I can go home and pray, not just for unbelievers, but pray for myself, pray for you, because God answers prayer. I don't know how it all works. If you know, let me know. But I don't know. But I trust him I believe him, and I am convinced and certain that God answers prayer. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and thank you for these certainties that we have looked at today. The certainty of knowing that we have and possess eternal life. So thankful, Father that as your children, we can walk out of this building knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have life everlasting. And Father, thank you for the certainty of answered prayer. Thank you that you are a God who hears us in a favorable way. And not only hears us, but gives us our requests. And the manifestation of that will be in your own timing. But we have the requests presently. Father, we don't fully grasp all of your revelation about prayer. But we do know with certainty in our hearts, based upon your word, that you do answer prayer. And may that drive us to be praying people who depend upon you in every area of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.